Hello and welcome to the World Tennis Show with me, Adam Bayfield, Tony Kerr hey. and Patrick Osher. Hello. We're back again, guys. Our last episode was in January, only an eight-month gap. Yeah, not bad. Positively lightning for us, isn't it? Yeah. It was like three years between episodes, then two years between episodes, now eight months. Sort of gradually working our way towards... Yeah. What's it going to end up being like? 2034, there'll be a daily... Daily Pod. It'd be like Coronation Street. Or yeah. <laughs> It'd be like the Guernsey Press, where there just isn't enough news at all, but we're just fleshing out tiny stories. I was quite surprised to hear that there'd been loads of people clamouring uh, for our, your, Adam's, mine opinion yeah. on what's been going on this uh, last couple of weeks, which is it's just good to know that even after eight months, people haven't forgotten. Yeah, I've been inundated with literally several messages <laughs> just pleading for a... Yeah, pleading for a pod on, <laughs> on what's been going on. Quite a few of those were me, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, true, yeah. It was me, your brother, your mum. Anyone else? Um, no, there were one or two. There were just people saying, <laughs> it's more just people having this conversation. And I'm sort of thinking, no, wait, you'll hear the definitive version when we, uh, when we do the yeah, pod. Yeah, you've really held back on Facebook. You've only sort of posted your 1,500-word summary. Yeah, true. Rather than the usual... Uh, yeah. Dissertation. Did you know we've now produced as many world tennis shows this year as Andy Murray has won Grand Slam titles in his entire career? Three world tennis shows this year. Wow. Three Grand Slam titles. So, in a way, we've done more in one year than he has ever done. Absolutely. Well, in I mean, a which, sense. Which, you know, which is the bigger achievement? When did we do the other one? I thought I, we only did two this year. This is the second one. No, it? this is the third. Is me, me and you did one, Patrick, without Tony. Uh, this might yeah. be the first he's hearing. I I yeah, he that. definitely didn't listen yeah. to it. I, just, I saw it pop up and just deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the French we did? No, we did two two on the Australian Open. Great recollection of the two podcasts we've done. Also, like amazingly erratic. <laughs> so we've done one each day of the of Wimbledon, but then we haven't done one for four years after that. <laughs> Guaranteed, though, we'll walk out of here, and I will say, "Oh, we should do one before the next slam, and then after it." And we'll and go, then, "Yes, <laughs> yes." Yeah, high fiving all the way down the street, and then you'll hear from us in two years. Twenty twenty three rolls around. We're like, should we, yeah. Should do you remember Roger Federer? Yeah. Uh, well, you can set your watch by the World Tennis Show, can't you? But on 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 this episode, we're talking about the U.S. Open twenty eighteen, uh, which came to an end this week in New York, and it was quite an eventful tournament, wasn't it? The winners were Novak Djokovic on the men's side and Naomi Osaka on the women's side. Uh, but that quick sort of uh, summary doesn't necessarily give you a complete picture of how things played out. Some quite, uh, qu- it was quite an eventful weekend, wasn't it? The two finals. It was, and it's uh, especially on the women's side. It's there's been a great deal said about it. Actually, in a way, that's there's been almost nothing about the men's side, or at least that's how it's come across since you know about the men's final or anything uh, compared to how much sort of to and fro there has been about Serena. I'd say it's difficult to remember, almost in any sport, in recent times, an event or incident that's generated this much discussion. I, I, mm. I couldn't think of any that have been as divisive, or that as many people have sort of weighed in on. Mm. It's just been extraordinary. Probably not from a single event, no. There have been things about doping or about um, corruption and that sort of thing, but those are whole endemic problems or something, rather than a specific incident. Maybe you have to go back to like... Zidane headbutt or something like that. <laughs> but even that that wasn't necessarily as controversial. It was True. like it was like a huge sort of eye catching, headline grabbing event, but it mm. wasn't 
I think the word Tony used was divisive. Like I was maybe thinking of the ball tampering scandal in cricket earlier this year, the Australian players getting banned, sandpaper gate. But even that, I don't know if it was as divisive in the sense that this, or like polarizing, this is, does seem to split people almost literally down the middle in terms of how they see things. Should we maybe give a, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows what we're talking about, but should we maybe yeah. give a quick recap just so we're all on the same page as to what actually happened mm. in the women's final? So the women's final between uh, Serena and Naomi Osaka, uh, Osaka going for her first Grand Slam title at the age of 20 and would become the first ever Japanese Grand Slam winner, uh, either male or female. Um, and on yeah, on the other side, Serena Williams going for her. 24th. 20th. <laughs> we'll edit that. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember if it's 23rd or 24th. It's just too many. Panic on your face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Going for also, why, just give me the in, give me it in fingers. Don't shout it across the table. <laughs> How can I? Do, 24th, quickly, moron. Yeah, do you know the sport or not? Can't quickly give you fingers. 24. Such an amateur in radio. Just quickly give me the sign language. Also, I don't actually know if it's 24th. That's just off the top of my head. Yeah, she's won 23, so that would have been 24. Yeah. So Osaka won the first set 6-2 and was playing really well. If you just look at the scoreline, she went on to win the second set 6-4. And you think, oh, 6-2, 6-4, a very straightforward victory. But that, you know, what happened in the second set uh, was pretty extraordinary in that it was, it was all level on serve. Early in the second set, Serena was given a code violation by the umpire Carlos Ramos, uh, for coaching. Her coach, Patrick Moratoglu, had been spotted by Ramos uh, giving Serena a signal. Was it to sort of say, come into the net? or, or It looked something? like it was, yeah, move into the court or come yeah. forward. It was a signal like that. So yes. he was doing some coaching, which is not allowed in tennis. So she got a code violation for that. Serena possibly hadn't seen this signal from Moratoglu. Or either way, she was very unhappy about giving this, being given this uh, code violation. She started losing her temper and was ranting at the umpire and saying that, he was calling her a cheat and saying, I'm not a cheat. Angrier and angrier. A couple of games later, she smashed her racket very violently. She got a second code violation for that and um, lost a point. And she was then given a third code violation because as a result of that, she started having a go at the umpire again, accused him of being a thief for taking a point from her. And he awarded Osaka a game, which meant that Osaka was serving for the match. And it has to be said. Well, well, I think, match- I think um, it was that Serena was then... Three five. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so then, Osaka yeah. was effectively a break up, and then yeah. went on to serve for the match and the championship, and won it. And has to be said, she did keep her cool unbelievably well to go on and and win the game from there, given everything that was happening. Yeah. So this has been very controversial. This whole thing. Yeah. There's there's all sorts of things to to discuss with this, all sorts of aspects, um, and the world is crying out to know what we think. Yeah. As well, three. Like, yeah privileged young white males <laughs> will give you the definitive <laughs> story on whether this was to do with gender and race and obviously it is it, there are there are tricky there are tricky areas here to discuss um it's been an extremely emotive uh, issue and there've been some excellent articles written but also some which I'd say in a sense exaggerate aspects of what happened uh, or a very unfair to you know some of the protagonists i think what really set the whole thing alight there wasn't it was serena coming off afterwards then and saying the whole thing basically had been played out because of her gender and that 
sort of sexism on behalf of not just yeah the umpire in question but umpires in the sport the female players get much more uh stringent kind of sanctions and uh, you know any kind of outburst on the court is dealt with in a different way to if a male player had done it and uh, you know obviously that's then you throw in the you know race as well and i think possibly a way of starting this is um that uh i think we, we agree like a very uh, an interesting article which came out just by a, a friend of the show, Jonathan Liu. He writes for The Independent. Yeah, in The Independent, wrote this article about about what happened. He makes the point that you, if you just look at it in terms of the rules, uh, then it's, I would say, relatively clear-cut. There are always some grey areas. But if we start by doing that, so there were three incidents which happened the first of which was uh, the accusation of coaching. Serena can be completely innocent in that and was innocent in that, as in it's not her doing it. Um, it's her coach, but you're basically responsible for your team in that sense. The umpire, Carlos Ramos, saw that Patrick Moratoglu was making this gesture. He called, uh, called her out on that. At the time, Serena was saying to him, oh, no, I saw that he was doing sort of thumbs up, but, you know, I don't get coaching, and it wasn't coaching. And since then, Patrick Moratoglu has come out and said, no, I, I was coaching. Um, that was my intention, but made the point that sort of everyone does it. That's where there is a grey area here. And it's basically that what you can say is that Serena was unlucky in that this moment happened to have been seen by the umpire. It is rife in tennis. I'm, I can absolutely assure you of that, that it does happen all the time. I think he made the case that Tony Nadal is constantly doing it. He, he argued that um, Naomi Osaka's coach was doing it just as much. Um, so it's unlucky in that sense. But it's also unlucky in the days before the shot clock that you might be called up for taking too much time and players would be very upset uh, because they'd think, well, hang on a second, Nadal's frequently taking too much time. Uh, you're not calling him out on it enough. There you can say, see there's a bit of a grievance, but that's the rule. Like, you can't be coached. So, like being uh, accused of a foot fault, which has actually happened to Serena in the past, and we'll come on to that, it's something which often maybe doesn't get noticed, but then this time was, and it was in a crucial match, and she got called out for that. One thing to say about that as well is that that's a warning, she was just given a warning. There's no actual penalty. That it's 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 less, much less, even than getting a yellow card. And there's no immediate action. It's that it's, it's the threat of future penalty. And so, one thing to look at is how she reacted to being given a warning. But if we could just go on to the just the second, the second offence is the one which I really, I mean, I don't think I haven't seen any instance of someone debating this one because if you're playing tennis and there's an umpire and you smash a tennis racket you get a code violation. That's just how it works. And Tone, I think you, you would argue that it should be a bigger penalty. Well, it's so deep-rooted now, isn't it, with tennis, the culture of racket smashing, which I don't agree with at all. I think, it, I think it's one of the most petulant, condoned actions in sport. I think it's worse almost than diving in football, but it's, another, it's, a, debate for mm. another, it's a debate for another day. I know why, I know why players do it, you know, and I, I've made the point to you before that, like, you know, hand footballers, like a tennis racket or something to throw, yeah. whatever, like, that, that's the object you're holding. You're angry. You can't lash out, do anything else. That's what's mm. going to happen the same way you might smash a ball into the crowds or in Shapovalov's case, the, the eye of the <laughs> yeah. umpire. No, it is a debate for another day, you know, but yeah. 
but either but, way, so it's so it's, it's right. It, it's the rule. It Everyone knows that. Players have said sometimes as well that they know they're getting the code violation. It's just in that moment, it's worth it to them. They need some outlet. They can't. They'd get a code violation for swearing loudly mm-hmm. as well. That's their choice. So that's then a point penalty because that's just how it works. Um, that you're on your second violation, you get the point penalty. The third instant was verbal abuse of an official. And that can cover uh, questioning the official's integrity, accusing them of cheating, essentially. And Serena, earlier in the match, used the word liar, and then later on um, used the word thief, that he'd stolen a point from her. It should also be pointed out that at many of the change of ends, she carried on haranguing the umpire in this way. And when she eventually said, like, no, this is, you're just a thief, he eventually just decided he'd had enough and that this was abuse of him and gave the final, well, the next code violation. Which, again, it's, it, he's absolutely entitled to do so. One of the things that people have pointed out is that it's, is that it's maybe strict, and that might be the case. But anyone knows that referees or umpires will vary. So mm-hmm. the same thing in football. I mean, we, we, when we've played five-a-side and stuff, it's like you play with one referee it's like oh this is the guy who like constantly calls people out for this particular thing you know they vary and it was within the rules to uh to act the way he did you might argue that he could have you know put his hand over the microphone and had a word with serena saying you know if you carry on like this you're you know what the repercussion is you'll get the game penalty but she's a 23 time grand slam champion who's been playing tennis her whole life she knows what the rules are also do we know that he didn't i mean he did have his hand over the microphone and was yeah he was, was saying, saying things, to, things her. So to her so it's i mean i, I, I maybe he didn't but yeah. I, I don't it's hard to know isn't it mm. so i suppose it is what you're saying there then that if you just look at the bare facts of what happened it's yeah. quite hard to see how serena has any yeah, if you, case if you, or any if, reason to if be you upset. put this case forward and you took it away from, which I'm not, this is the crux of Jonathan Lou's article, yeah. if you take it away from race and gender and all these things, you just say, you know, um, participant A, participant B, all this sort of stuff, this is what happened, then you'd say, yes, this person has penalised the player for these mm-hmm. things. Um, they're perfectly entitled to do so. That's how it works. It was a Grand Slam final as well, so it's probably even more scrutiny on it. Um, that's it. Yeah, her argument though would be and has been that although that is sort of the letter of the law, in so many cases the letter of the law is not applied, and she is saying that it tends to be in the case of male players that it's not applied, and that if a male player had behaved in that way, in that sequence of done that sequence of things, he would have been treated differently. That that the umpire would have been more lenient, and it's because she. Well, this is where is a female player that she was treated so severely, yeah. So, so, so to the 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 letter, that's probably I don't know. That's like the next level of debate, I think, in terms of in terms of whether actually that allegation that uh, female players are are treated more harshly by the letter of the law than male players, uh, which maybe we'll come on to in a moment. You know, for for me, I guess first of all, the, the sort of there is a cult of Serena, undoubtedly again, like I was saying at the start in terms of this incident dividing people and, as you say, polarising people, you can't really see it without... Uh, you can see it happening with many other people. Like, Serena is in a sort of special category of athlete, really. Mm. And I guess you do have to preface the whole conversation by just saying that, undoubtedly, she is one of the greatest athletes of all time in any sport 
for what she's achieved. Uh, but but as you said, Pat, you know she's been a professional at the top level. You know she won her first slam in '99, close to 20 years ago. She's been the highest earning athlete, female athlete in the world for mm. the last few years. Even the last year when she missed most of it. In terms of the behaviour that was exhibited on the court, like you kind of, uh, and you, you mentioned Johnny Lou's article, which was is absolutely brilliant, like wonderfully written, and it came out unbelievably soon after the event. Like, yeah, that was pretty staggeringly impressive. well put together. And yeah, as you say, the point made in that is that that you've got to separate the actual rules from what Serena would have gone through. I kind of my personal feeling is though that at some point, you know, twenty year career at the top level as one of the greatest athletes of all time, one of the most highly paid athletes in the world, at some point that has to override some of the things that maybe would have gone against Serena, you know, the wrong things that have happened in her life going back a bit of time. So I, I think those things, I think, do you think those things override to a certain extent the points that Johnny Lou makes? They, they, they don't necessarily override them. I think the, the, the crux of it is that, and I think his article in a way is saying that, but it, it's it's also saying these things don't happen or exist in a vacuum. It's not a thought experiment. These were dealing with real hmm. characters on a tennis court with all of their baggage, with the year that Serena Williams has had, which to anyone would be an extremely difficult year. I mean, she almost died in um, childbirth. All of her life history, all of the struggles she has had, and absolutely legitimate struggles against people's uh, racism and against completely unfair uh, attacks for her it being it being not fair because she's just stronger genetically yeah. and all this sort of nonsense that's all completely valid but it's a bit it's a, if you approach this a bit almost like a, a law case you'd have you have to take into account or to be fair and accurate in a situation you have to take into account everything which has led to that moment and all of her fights i mean sort of her fighting throughout her career and her what's happened to her this year, all of that stuff does come into it and um, her emotions and how, I mean, she was so clearly upset watching it. Still, at the same time, the same way that if someone um, has had an extremely difficult life uh, and commits a crime, you do have to, or you should have the empathy to take all these things into account and say, you know, that's, if I'd had the same thing, I might have done the same and uh, I would have reacted the same way. And yet at the same time, there still needs to be those rules and the sort of um, results of them, uh, there still needs to be some implications if 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 these things happen. There were there were some articles saying, for example, um, that he he called her out on this because it was a woman haranguing him. There are other ones saying what offended him was that it was like a strong uh, black woman uh, haranguing him, and he couldn't handle that. Um, other ones, there's one saying that it's about her talent that offended him, but I think that was in the context of her talent as a um, a strong black mm-hmm. uh, woman. It's it's a this is a really odd analogy, but uh, there's a character in The Big Lebowski who you know he was in he was in Vietnam or he claims he's in Vietnam, and then literally whatever happens, so he'd be he'd be having a a, um, a game of bowling, temp and bowling. And there's some dispute about um, a guy stepping over the line and he'll say, look, you know, this isn't Vietnam. This is bowling. There are rules here and stuff. And it's this constant thing of, you know, look, not everything is about is about Vietnam. Well, equally, uh, it's so tempting and arguably necessary to, to bring all these massive social issues into a scenario like this. But at the same time, the umpire's job is to 
call it as he sees it in the match and to, he has those rules there. I don't think at all that he owes Serena Williams an apology for how he acted. Did Do you? No, well, you haven't said anything yet. No, but, go on, go on. No, can. I mean, but, but I think like, yeah, in terms of that incident, you know, what the behaviour that Serena, kind of, well, yeah, Serena's behaviour on court you know, it was unpleasant. It, you know, all this. Like, it's hard you to watch. Apologize to me. You owe me an apology. Like, you're said, like, you're yeah. never going to be on my court again. Like that's unbelievably entitled nonsense, yes. quite frankly. And I like, <laughs> yeah, there aren't many people you'd expect that to hear that from. You know, I think effectively what Serena said after the match has kind of clouded it because yeah, what happened on court was pretty clear cut. One of the sad implications of all of this or what the sad results is that you're hearing virtually nothing about the first ever Japanese winner of a Grand Slam who if you think that there were three sort of people in a sense involved in this match all the attention's been on the actions of Serena and Carlos Ramos and none on the I think everyone would say faultless winner champion of the Grand Slam who played phenomenal tennis throughout the entire tournament did outplay Serena completely Complete, in the first in the set. First and set, and yeah. that is also a factor here. Serena was in a situation where you think all of the emotion that has come from the year she's had and of her fight to get back to playing this level. And she had the final against Kerber at Wimbledon. She had that opportunity to have this uh, historic record breaking feat of winning the most slams. Um, she had this opportunity again and was being outplayed and then something like this goes against her, that does all need to be taken into account. But you also have, yeah, this player who, in terms of her tennis, was relatively close to faultless, but in terms of her behaviour, mm. was faultless. And as I say, like, to, to, you know, absorb everything that was happening on the court in that stadium with all the booing and everything and this extraordinary thing that was happening between Serena and the umpire and just sort of keep her head down and then serve it out was was really impressive. I think so my feeling is it is very complex and everything that you've said I completely agree with and you do have to take into account Serena's uh life story up to this point and everything she's had to overcome. And I am very sympathetic obviously to the discussion about sexism and gender equality in tennis and and I'm also aware as we've discussed like we sort of joke about the fact that you know the the world has called for three white men to give their opinion <laughs> but we like we are in a slightly precarious position in this conversation but my feeling is that so like if, if Serena's argument is that if that exact sequence of events had happened and it had been a male player that Carlos Ramos would have treated her differently well the problem with that argument is that Carlos Ramos literally gave code violations to uh, Djokovic and Cecchinato, his opponent, in their French Open quarterfinal for coaching. And he's given code violations to male players for coaching on numerous occasions. He's, he's also had accusations against him, for example, by Rafa Nadal, I think for coaching as well, but definitely for um, taking too long between points. And he's been criticised, but seen as someone who's a strict... Yeah, um, yeah, you know, practitioner of the of the, <laughs> of, of the law, like he 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 keeps to the rules, and and there is a reason that people laud the 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 work of like Nigel Owens in rugby and stuff like that, that they that they do such a good job. They take um, no nonsense. From yeah, the place, and that yeah. they stand up to them. People can say, oh, so Carlos Ramos owes 
an apology that he wouldn't have done this to these people. So that's your point is that he does do this to the yeah. male players. I mean, we could, and there's no reason ta- to think that had Djokovic or Cecchinato then gone on to behave in the way that Serena yeah. did, yeah. had they reacted in that way to getting that first code violation, that he wouldn't have given them further code violations. Yeah, or you go, but you go back to like. Um, all the way back to John McEnroe being disqualified from a, so, well, from a yeah. match. So this is my point. So he was defaulted from the Australian Open, right, at one yeah. point. And th- so th- this is the thing, because there's been a huge amount written and said about how male players and female players are treated differently and people pointing to the fact that, oh, well, when, you know, when McEnroe did it, it was just, he was being outspoken. People loved it. Well, unfortunately, like, people don't actually know what they're talking about. Like, yes, maybe now people look back on some of that McEnroe stuff, you know, you cannot be serious. And it was more and lenient they, then. That's well, the other thing. That's true, but he also was defaulted from yeah. the Australian Open. Yeah. He was punished. And players like, like now Bandian has been, um, was he disqualified yeah. from a match? Shapovalov, understandably. Henman for hitting a yeah. ball into ball girl's face. Yeah, and, and people yeah. say, like, there, there was a montage online and it was like, look at all this behaviour from male players, like smashing rackets and stuff. I was watching it thinking, yes, and they got penalised for those individual incidents. I don't understand yeah. Yeah. what your point is. When Marcus Bakdata sits down and smashes rackets, A, he's not threatening someone or accusing them of dishonesty or lack of integrity or anything. He's breaking a racket, Tony Hate, which is petulant and it's silly. But he equally is getting punished for that. Um, a lot of people have made the comparison, haven't they, with what happened with Kyrgios and Mohamed Leani just a couple of days before. Yeah. Well, Kyrgios having a uh, yeah one of his brain fades, tanking, basically. yeah, and Leani got down from the the chair and basically gave him a pep talk and said, "Come on, you're good for tennis." Mm-hmm. And well, then he turned it around. I mean, that was an extraordinary incident in its own right. I mean, well, yeah, so, like, so it doesn't look great in the context no, of that moment. But then but everyone so said different. that was a really weird thing that shouldn't have happened. So yeah. that shouldn't be like the benchmark. And do you know what? There's, there's one other measured. one. So there's, there were three of this tournament the Serena is the one which is going to be talked about justifiably the most mm-hmm. but there was also this bizarre incident with Mohamed Leani which some a lot of people have come out and said he didn't get this right where it wasn't in his it's not in his job description to oh, encourage yeah, a so player and to um, say you know this isn't you um, you know basically saying like I like you and you mm-hmm. can do better than this that's not his role but sorry just to quickly say the, the third one um, which again people will think of in these debates and should in this instance. Mm. It was this ludicrous thing with Elise Corner yeah, kind of where oh, she yeah, changes yeah, her shirt and has a sports bra underneath. When I first heard about this, I thought like she didn't have the sports bra and was changing it at the back of the court and kind of, you know, and I still thought like that also seems like double standards. So she uh, was it, given a code violation just to clarify yeah. for changing her shirt yeah. on the court. Yeah. yeah. And w- was that just a US Open rule or was that... No, uh, uh, well, this is the thing. So, because I know that they said, I think the next day they've changed the rule. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that was ludicrous. So, yeah. so people could uh, justifiably say, okay, that's a good example because it clearly shows like there are grey areas with these things. As in, what actually is the rule here? It's up to the umpire's discretion of what to do. And I think the umpire, uh, but then definitely the USTA came out and Elise Corne actually apl- uh, applauded them from this and said they admitted, look, we got that completely wrong and we shouldn't have. Um, done that and she appreciated that and and at the time she was rattled by and it, it probably did have an effect on the match which is really sad but they said look that that was a, a mistake and she accepted the the but apology the, the, the and qual- that's clear cut that that was nonsense well absolutely that that incident i was going to point to because as i say i'm i am very uh sensitive to the situation in tennis but the idea that carlos ramos acted the way he did because serena's a female player and he wouldn't have done with a male player to me is just a disingenuous 
argument when there are so, there are so many other examples that you can point to. The Cornet one being the prime example from this tournament. Other things that have happened in Serena's career, but but this I really fail to see the sexism there when he's just applied the rules well, and it's been interesting I, like there is also what is not an implausible interpretation of what happened that serena was getting rattled because she was losing she and was then what? whether consciously or unconsciously brought all this stuff into it because you know because that's almost sort of rope ladder for her in that situation and and one thing that really pissed me off actually was her was her saying I'm, I have a daughter, you know, I'm not a cheat. I have a daughter, uh, you know, I want to bring her up in the, and it's like, well, that good for you, you know, that, and she's sort of become this symbol of you motherhood, the, and rightly yeah. so, but like that, like then that, to use that, it was just, like, I found that a bit galling. You look at that and you, you see that quotation in that context and you just think that's emotion. That's pure. She was pretty much in tears. She basically said, like, I have a daughter. It's not, you know, it's a complete, non-secretor to what they were talking about yeah. or what the yeah, instant yeah. is. That's what I mean, yeah. It, you know, it's like Federer saying, well, I've got two sets of twins yeah. and I wouldn't call, you know, I wouldn't uh, foot fault. It's, it doesn't actually make any sense. But what it was is just someone who the moment got to them. And part of what people love about Serena, and, and this, again, um, sort of affects the whole conversation, is that how, how people feel about Serena, because she does divide opinion. But um, in terms of, you know, her way of playing and all sorts of things. But... You know, she is an incredible fighter. And actually, strangely in a way, um, bearing in mind this incident, is that she's remarkably composed for much of the time when she plays and has this kind of way of almost kind of meditative, meditatively breathing between points and kind of focusing. She you actually can see had- her like, in her eyes when she sort of, if she loses a point or when she walks back to the line, you can, you can see that focus. Yeah, and... Um, but yes, like lots of other athletes, they also can be caught up in the moment. There have been times when, yeah, Djokovic or Federer or Nadal will get really, really rattled during a match. And it's because it means that much to them. Mm-hmm. And it means even more to Serena Williams with, again, what she's gone through and what and um, with the incredibly difficult time she has had. But it, that's emotion. That thing of, I have a daughter or... Yeah bringing that stuff into it. Uh, I'm not a cheater. Well, he's not saying you're a cheater. Yeah. He's saying this is a, a violation of like this rule. It's the just, rule. It's- yeah. And that's what I, feel I need to bring in Tony in a sec, but th- th- that's what I'm trying to say is that to then latch on to this moment as some like brave fight, you know, standing up against sexism. Yeah. When it was, it seems pretty clear yeah. that it was just, you know, sort of relatively straightforward breaking of X, Y, Z rules is disingenuous, I think, when there are so many other examples that you could point to. And I think it slightly undermines whole, you know, the whole endeavour of trying to get more, you know, of trying to boost equality in tennis because this is really not a good example, in my view. Sorry, yeah, Tim. I mean, I think it's worth repeating that obviously, yeah, it's sort of three men uh you know it's it's a difficult issue to discuss and i think we are all sensitive to how you know women feel about certain situations or you know you you can't really i say you can't argue but you you have to be kind of receptive to that stuff uh and you know you look at some of the people who've come out and said well yeah you know like sue barker billy jean king who've come out and said well yes we also think that uh you know tennis officiating and you know tennis in general uh, favors male players in certain situations over over the women. 
So it's kind of tough to argue with, well, with that, people of that standing. Like maybe that's true. I'm not saying that's not true, but in this particular instance, yeah. I don't think it was. So to use this as the sort of cause celeb does seem... Um, and that comes back to, I think, what's a bit curious with this incident as well is that um, there's issues of uh, gender and race uh, at play. But, you know, Serena Williams was playing against Naomi Osaka, who is mixed race. She has a black uh, Haitian father and a Japanese mother you know if she was playing if she was playing like a a, a white American opponent mm. or something uh, it would come maybe come across differently equally you, you can sort of change if this were a kind of thought experiment if you then have a female umpire mm. in the chair it, it it changes the whole um well yeah and people have flagged up the instances in the past where Serena has berated uh, threatened female, you know, the the, well, the line judge. Well, 2011, she she said um, in that moment, she she uh, was called up for something and said, "You'd better not cross me in the corridor. You're unattractive inside." Hmm. Uh, all this stuff, and that was at a um, uh, a female umpire. And then, of course, there was this incident 2009 um, with Kim Clijsters when she was. She got a point penalty on match point, essentially defaulted from the match. Um, but again, in that moment, she was saying to, uh, she said to a lineswoman, and I think this is clear cut that she said, I think her exact words were, I'm going to take this fucking ball and shove it down your fucking throat. If that's not a code violation in a moment, yeah. then I don't know what is. And she initially at that moment had said, uh, I don't, I'm not going to apologize for my behavior. I'm a passionate person. She did later apologise, credit to her, and she might, well, she, you know, she, I imagine she might have been encouraged to do so, but she did apologise and basically said, the moment got the better of me. I hope for more opportunities in a, in a weird way like this in the future, whereby my mm -hmm. kind of composure under pressure is challenged and I have the opportunity to do the right do thing. Differently. The sad thing is, I think that people will have all sorts of opinions on this, but in in my own opinion, she had that opportunity here and she sort of erupted with, with everything that happened and all the emotions that came into the moment. She, she didn't, she didn't, you know, it wasn't her best yeah, she display. Didn't comport herself. There. Yeah. I, I mean, I think anyone who's played sport at any level can relate to that thing of, you know, absolutely losing control of yourself emotionally in the moment. And I'm, I'm sure even from like the five aside football that we've played, Tony, there are definitely situations where I regret the way yeah, I've said, I behaved. Said, and I've been a complete pain to an umpire before and things. And then thought later, like, Oh my God, this person's just doing their job. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's not, the, it's not playing a grand slam, or whatever. It's just yeah. a match. But in that moment, and you just think of the sort of seeming injustice of it, and you do, you, yeah. you, could, you can see why these things happen. But what I think's a shame then is, is that she, in, in the aftermath, in the time since, hasn't sort of rode back at all on, on her stance at the time. And if anything, it's hardened, hasn't it? And actually, you know, like the US Tennis Association has come out in support and made statements about how, yeah, they felt that the umpire, would, if, like the subtext of their statement was that the umpire was sexist. Well, also, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the statement, the statement right in the immediate aftermath of it uh, basically said, and I, I've got it in front of me, actually, I was just about to, to kind of quote it, but it's basically like Serena's wonderful, that she showed fantastic sportsmanship and class on the court. Uh, you know, you know the, it was Naomi's moment that Serena wanted her to be able to enjoy it. This was a class move from a true champion. I've seen other people, you know, you sent me a tweet from someone saying that they thought that Serena basically 
kind of intervening and sit, telling the crowd to stop booing and in the presentation Naomi, yeah. uh, you know kind of give Naomi Osaka a moment was like the great the single greatest moment they've ever seen in sport that was the quote yeah which and was it's just it's been retweeted thousands of times pretty staggering <laughs> because yeah. that, that that's got a glimmer of truth in it that that was a nice thing to say in that moment but what you're doing was, there is you're trying to make up for <laughs> ruining the occasion well yeah in my view what she was doing was the bare minimum which yes. was saying to the crowd stop booing it was saying because to the crowd. she had created this situation people were like oh so like amazing that she in that moment had the kind of decency to tell the crowd to stop booing well like she got effectively got the crowd to boo and has ruined this moment yeah. for Naomi Osaka and it, we and, should say yeah. that in a sense it's and and the 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 US Open crowd is definitely um guilty in this and they are well in the past as well, the crowds at the US Open have been very, very problematic. They were a complete pain in the men's final as well, with constantly calling out just as people, players were about to serve, all sorts of things. But they, yeah, so as the presentation started, which was painful to watch mm. and horrendously poorly done by the, by the organisers and these kind of stilted, awkward questions. But as the first person started to talk, they're just roundly booing everyone involved. You think, well... Needed you Tony Kerr up there, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Just would have softened it all down a <laughs> yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, and the fact that... <laughs> the fact that of- so you'd say, you'd say in the moment that it was the right decision, but the fact that Carlos Ramos wasn't asked to come up to mm. accept his reward, really, or celebration that he had being an umpire because yes he would have been absolutely kind of torn apart by the crowd that's pretty shameful mm. really um yeah that's not something to celebrate and all um, of these articles are kind of unfairly saying like this was a a white man who was like um who you know he couldn't take these yeah. things that it, it's not about that if she's having a problem with something um endemic in tennis that's one conversation but carlos ramos is i think having a pretty rough he's been hung out to dry like he was uh, brave if anything to stick to how he saw Mm -hmm. what was happening on the court and to stick to what he did that did take courage well the the quote that tony read from the usta is pretty shocking and there have been other quotes similar at least i think the itf who employ him have stood by him but yeah I, i i I just find it amazing, really, and like, I, so it's just disappointing that Serena hasn't sort of changed her stance since. And it's a bit like, um, do you remember the thing with Gianluigi Buffon earlier this year, where he was like incredibly yeah. like upset and ranting about a decision that a referee had made in was it the Champions League quarterfinal or something yeah. against Real this year, where he awarded a penalty. But I mean, it was a penalty, and he was saying, "Well, you just can't do that in that moment." But like, that was one thing when he did it in the post-match interview when emotions are still running high. Well, that's actually dangerous. I mean, the, what I think Buffon said was dangerous, yeah. actually. When you like, you think of you know, some elements of, of uh, you know, the football support to be that critical yeah. from someone who is a legend of who the had game. Been, you know, at yeah. least until that point, had been so respected. Yeah. But so to say it in the immediate aftermath is one thing, but he continued to stick by what he'd said for weeks and months, maybe even still now, I don't know. And that, to me, is what's disappointing. And, and no, I, I don't think any of it makes, you know, none of this makes her a bad person or d- does anything to, you know, affect her No, you focus on the actions themselves her, and yeah, what but exactly happened on the court. I just don't think it's something to celebrate and to sort of turn what she did into some sort of heroic I mean, that quote, stand against sexism is, it just makes me feel a bit sort of queasy. The quote that Tony read or the tweet is just spectacularly incomplete. If it's saying like, this was a great moment of someone just showing class yeah. and sportsmanship yeah. under pressure and then giving the moment to so-and-so. And kind of that was, if that was all you heard about that match, I think you'd say you've got a fairly incomplete picture of what happened compared to saying, 
Djokovic was really um, showed good sportsmanship mm. in comforting in comforting Del Potro when Del Potro lost and sat down next to him and put his arm around him. They're great friends. That would be a complete version of of what you've seen there. The other one isn't. Just on what you were saying before, that thing of Serena, you know, not admitting fault. In a way, you can sort of see why, because she's then been backed up by so many people saying this was a great moment of standing up to sexism, uh, racism. That's all been applied after the event. That's that. That's the that's the sort of crucial mm-hmm. aspect here. Yes, those things are all at play because they always will be at play. That Serena's upbringing and you know the fact she'd had a a sister who was murdered and she had incredibly difficult life in many ways, and then all her success and difficulties and that all comes into it. But this stuff of this was a great stance against this or that that's applied later on. You've got to be careful how you say something like this, but this is this is not the Rosa Parks incident where someone makes a stance against something in the moment and then the results, you know, then you see the results. This was someone losing control of their emotions, basically sort of understandably, and suffering the consequences. And the tournament and the f- end of the tournament suffered the consequences. And Naomi Osaka has suffered co- the consequences because basically she's not getting mentioned and... Yeah, as we said, she is, um, yeah, fantastic. Including by us. We haven't really spent much time talking about her. But it I was, th- Yeah. I, th- well, I think what, you know, you can sort of take comfort with Osaka. You know, the way she handled the match mentally was kind of quite insane in terms of composure and just kind of getting on with it uh, to close it out. So you, you, I know she, she was pretty upset afterwards in that moment. In the presentation. But, yeah, yeah, you'd hope that kind of the, the sort of, yeah, the kind of composure and level-headedness you demonstrated there will kind of hold her in good stead and can just sort of crack on. But yeah, as you say, it was, it was, it was strange to see someone presented with their lifelong dream, the US Open trophy, beating their idol. And, you know, though they always make a bigger deal this the US Open than any other Grand Slam, a check for $3.8 million. Having all of that and basically looking like at best, she had very, very mixed feelings about how it had all come about. Um, she looked pretty devastated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was really strange and quite unfortunate. And if you put fault aside, it's just sort of it's not really fair yeah. on her. It's it's a sh- it's a shame, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, on the men's side, Djokovic <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, won, and we'll see you in eight months. Yeah, Djokovic <laughs> uh, yeah, is the champion. His fourth US Open. It feels a bit weird, sort of just like pretending, you know, just moving straight on, moving yeah. swiftly on yeah. to talk about other stuff, but we should uh, rattle through uh, the rest of the tournament. So, yeah, his, his fourth US Open, his first since 2015, his 14th slam title overall. So he draws level with Pete Sampras at third, joint third on the all time list behind only Federer and Nadal. Um, yeah, he, he beat Juan Martin Del Potro in the final. It was Del Potro's first slam final since he won the tournament nine years ago I can't believe that's nine years ago I don't know about you guys but it's kind of I slightly measure my life in US Opens because it, <laughs> because of like when it falls in the year right it was always like sort of going back to school oh, right, yeah. or going back to uni yeah or like in the like more years than I want to count since then it just always for this end of the summer and you know turning to autumn uh, I can sort of always remember I always remember US Open very clearly <laughs> it's a well up yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah it's astonishing to me that that Del Potro win was nine that years ago that can't be nine years ago but anyway um, was this a good final is my question to you 
<laughs> Patrick's pointed at Tony. Yeah, I just pointed straight back. <laughs> no, it was cracking. Yeah, um, I didn't see much of the men's final. So it was a straight set win to Djokovic on paper. It was six three seven six six three. Uh, in reality, I would say it was probably one of the best sort of straight sets victories I've ever seen, or certainly seen you know in, in a long time. Uh, basically, because the level was extremely high, uh, there were times when Del Potro missed forehands that I think he wouldn't sometimes miss. And Djokovic charitably said that um, after the the match. But I think that's basically, there's this thing in tennis where it's, people think, oh, you know, um, Federer's had a tough serving day today against Nadal and this sort of thing. And it can be that his serve has dropped a bit, but it's also that he realises it's got to be absolutely perfect in order to win the point. And you've got this thing of invisible pressure whereby Del Potro would hit one of his 108 mile an hour forehands and it would come back to him within six inches of the baseline. Uh, Djokovic was freakishly good in the final. The, the result of that is that Del Potro will try and hit it harder and harder and harder and did and sometimes it worked and it's it's just one of the great sights in sport I think seeing him hit a sledgehammer forehand but more often than not in the case of the final it would result eventually in an error or in Djokovic making him play one more ball stretching um, to some incredible, uh, almost the splits position and and getting the ball back again within like an inch of the line and then Del Potro missing. His movement is just insane, isn't it's, it, Djokovic? Again, like I've said this before, somewhat um, begrudgingly, though I do, and in a way kind of like increasingly um, really like Djokovic, but it's just I'm such a big Federer and Nadal fan. It's just that at his best level, he basically plays as close to perfection as you can get. And definitely on a hard court. I think on a hard court and on this hard court, it's playing relatively slowly against Del Potro. It's not a great matchup. Um, well, they actually slowed the courts down this year, yeah. didn't they? So that, that played into his hands. Yeah. And it's that thing of in tennis, if you were to have someone to, to play a match like for your life, who would you have? It, people would probably say like Nadal on clay. I think that'd be pretty insane not to mm-hmm. in, in over a five set thing, you know, on grass or Federer on hard court at his best you'd just categorically have Djokovic. It was it was good to watch because it's one of those things where it was a masterclass. And the second set was actually just brilliant, as in we watched that together. And do you remember there was that game, one game, sort of 28 minutes long or something? 4-3, was wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, crucial. And, and Potro trying to break. And uh, It ended up being 95 minutes long, that second yeah, just, set. Just one it was set. a 20-minute game as well in there. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Le- Patrick just said that, if you've yeah. been listening. No, I was it's reading just, something else. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just, just answering some personal yeah. emails. 95-minute yeah. yeah. um, set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Straight sets win well, for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, at that point, the level of tennis was really high. I thought yeah. it, that once Djokovic won the second set, it was very much game over. And even, even though the level in the second set was very high, it never. I don't think at any point in the match did I really think that Del Potro was going to win. Was there anything that you feel he could have done differently, or was it just a case, as you say, the matchups look good on that court against Djokovic? It's it's, it's, cl- it's classic of a of a battle that, that that set. It's just a shot, like here and there. Like so, one of those forehands that clips the top of the net and comes back on his side goes for a winner in the tiebreak, and he's got that set. If he won the second, you know. That must have been one of the all-time devastating sets to lose. And you then think, I'm two sets to love down against this person who's just not missing any shots. It was a 95-minute set, Tone. Yeah, with a 20-minute game in it. Yeah, I was about to say that. So yeah, like uh, it was just such fine lines. Del Potro, like team in the French Open final, I think Del Potro played well. Mm. I just think he played 
someone who can play just an insane level and that that, that was the that was the issue yeah del potro has said that his backhand isn't what it once was and never will be but it's definitely better than it was a couple of years ago when he could only slice yeah. it and he hit some brilliant backhand winners and stuff but it's um, great to have him back isn't it at the, at the top yeah. of the game and both of them i think um Djokovic back to being such a force and strange that thing of like when Nadal had his dip you sort of watch him and think he kind of how did he ever dominate he's hitting the ball short and mm. sitting up and being being punished Djokovic as well was such a lull but now he's right back to where he was in sort of 2015 you can almost see you know potentially Djokovic by you know June next year could hold all four slams <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> we're always guilty of well, yeah. this is it because like, like, it's yeah it's we're sort of back onto that now, aren't we? It could, well, it could be on again, but th- this is the thing, like, partly because we've done these shows <laughs> so infrequently, but it does seem like every time we get together, there's like a different narrative about how things are going to play different out. dynamic. In January, the question was, you know, is Djokovic ever going to be, you know, is, is he, he ever going to win a slam top again? Top 10 again, you know? Yeah. yeah. So right now you suddenly think, oh, he's got 14 slams, 20, you know, Federer's record could be in his sights again. But actually, like Catching things, up to Nadal. things yeah. change in tennis, don't they? Mm. And again, like when Nadal won the French Open, he was three, well, and still is mm. three behind Federer. And people thinking, you know, maybe he'll have gone past Federer by this time next year. Yeah. But then he's had a few but injuries. I think it's and fair to say Federer's dropped off a little bit as well. I think you can, it's safe to bet that Djokovic will win at least one more slam. So those three will be at the top of the tree. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, fair, it's, just, yeah. it's just a continuation of yeah. what has for a long time been like the big three really and, and it really is in terms of number of slams uh one they're just hogs aren't they they're just yeah. three hogs just burying their f- snouts into the trough of grand slams with like other pigs around them trying to get in at the action just get like a a, a crumb and they're well, just it, having none of it it's fairly just... remarkable isn't it that the, that, sorry continue your analogy <laughs> <laughs> no i was just gonna make sure you know like plowing away at this I, well, I was Trump. just going to say, it's fairly remarkable is that the last two calendar years, you know, the eight slams have gone to those three guys and all three of them kind of looked gone at one point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yet, yeah. and yet still no one else has managed to yeah, no. sneak and, uh, even a morsel. Yeah, and it's, that, it's just that thing, like poor old, uh, well, poor old, he had an incredible career. David Ferrer, mm-hmm. um, basically, basically <laughs> re- re- retiring in this um, thing and he's reached, I think, career high of world number three. Just a player's player, mm. an absolute hero. Like one of my good friends is totally his his favourite player um, for maximising your potential. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the the opposite of like a Tomic or something like that. Um, and but <laughs> Paul you just Collingwood of tennis. You just think like again, he's had this era with these players. It's just like just you know, in another era, or just like, if you could have waited till they'd retired and you'd still be playing. Well, so you feel a little bit like that for Andy Murray as well, who's obviously yeah. won three Grand Slams, but if you imagine him coming along during the sort of Hewitt-Roddick kind of turn of the millennium era, yeah, he may well have won quite a few more than that. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable statistic that since, is it since January 2005, Murray's won three Slams, Vavrinka's won three Slams, Del Potro's won a Slam, and Cilic has won a Slam, and all the others have been won by Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. So what's that, like 50-plus yeah, slams in that 50, time? Yeah. yeah, Which is yeah. it's pretty insane. Hogs, mate. Hogs. <laughs> um, we're running out of time here rapidly. We all, Just a customer you mentioned for Heather. Pat, you actually uh, went and... What, what, you were in New York. You went to the, one of the qualifying days. Yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was 
brilliant, actually. So I saw her in her first qualifying round match, and that was against Coco Golf. Uh, Corey. Uh, Corey, but the, the, the oh, sort of nick- nickname. Nickname's oh, Coco. Right. Um, Best frenzy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me and Coco just having like, a drink after, and she was saying it. Heather did a great job. Me and Cokes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so she's... It's strange, because I was telling someone, I was saying, oh, so um, Heather's playing this girl, and I was saying she's 14, but she's really an amazing player, all this stuff, and they're saying, oh, so she's like playing against a child, basically. It's like, well... In a sense, yes, but this child is like talks about as being potentially like the next big thing. And actually, she's a child even said who's good at tennis. She's actually said she's <laughs> like, um, I don't want to be like, which is I like this sort of talk. She's like, I don't want to be the next Serena Williams. I want to be like the first uh, Coco Golf. Yeah, yeah. Um, and well, she yeah, fourteen years old. She was she uh, equaled or, the second fastest serve at the whole tournament seniors yeah, include, in the yeah. junior tournament she get the serve 122 yeah on the yeah which is pretty insane yeah uh and she's already a a grand slam champion uh in junior level and at the age of 14 i think at the age of 13 she was in the yeah, final youngest of, ever junior of a slam one. um so yeah and uh and yeah heather beat her relatively straightforwardly 6461 um got through qualifying and had a yeah a difficult match against macaro but just <sighs> so missed out it yeah, because she was playing great tennis yeah. as well. And it's that thing of people say, you know, she's lost in the early state, in the first round of the US Open stuff. But she's had, you know, lots of matches are really just in extremely difficult matches. And that she's had some really horrible draws. She has, absolutely. I mean, it's eight, yeah, eight. Well, it's kind of insane, isn't it? Eight years in a row, she's gone out in the first round and she won as a junior there. It's like yeah. you kind of. And this one, and this first round was like a really, again, like a really close match. And she is actually, I think she's playing playing really well at the moment and i and we hope to see that form so yeah continuing she's, i think she's playing in quebec this week yeah it's unfortunate uh, you know in my job we sort of cover heather fair amount you know you're a sports re- reporter report, in the channel Islands report for, the results for anyone who doesn't it's know. very difficult and not just in the sort of in the office but around you know obviously people in guernsey have been following heather for well since she was about 12 really and obviously you know up to being british number one winning titles and stuff but just the, the nature of tennis is that she will always eventually lose whatever tournament she plays. And yeah, it's unfortunate that there have been times recently where she's not got beyond the sort of first round. It's the nature of around. news, isn't it? It's like, but it's so tough because everyone's yeah. you're like, oh, Heather Watson's lost in the, you know, in the second round of this tournament. And they're like, oh, she's lost again. Yeah. It's also, I think, it's, a bit, so well, hard to, it's like, a bit that thing. Of explain in, to it people. is also just individual sport. People mm. don't do that with team things where they're just like, um, oh, you play for like a premiership team. Like, oh, well, you're going to win the season. It's just like, it's enough that you're playing like yeah. a, a pro level thing. So unless um, Heather like wins Wimbledon or whatever, people are just kind of like, oh yeah, it's done yeah. okay. But like, will she win it? Kind of it's just <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. so amazingly it's um, really unfair in a way. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's a zero sum game. Like, sh- you know, if you're playing and you're playing the best in the world and you just get to a quarter and lose a match, people still be, oh, you know, so, so close yet so far. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's only the, well, how many, you know, 128 players or whatever in the, in a Grand Slam first round, and only one of them is not going to lose at yeah. some point. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah it's un- it, there's no doubt that she's you know level two below where she was at one point, certainly rankings wise. So, hopefully, she gets back up there. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it is tough. People will be like, yeah, she doesn't really, she just never really seems to win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think we're going to have to bring it to an end there. We'll have to do another one of these sooner than eight months because yeah. there's plenty of other things. To talk about, we haven't really talked about Roger Federer. This is the first or, well, <laughs> yeah. show ever we've not talked about Federer. It out. 
Well, that's or, because people will be listening to this and be like, well, that's because he's finished. But he's not finished. I mean... I think you'll agree with yeah. me that he should just retire at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we'd, we'd better go. Tony and we I... We could are, do one, yeah, sort of in, around, before, after the tour finals. Yeah, true. Maybe a review of the year. Yeah. So lots to look Absolutely. forward to. Even within what we talked about, there's so much more to yeah. say. But... Um, but yeah, we'd better go because Tony and I are dashing off to some... Uh, marketing event then i'm dashing off from there to work then i'm dashing <laughs> off to your house tone to record another podcast yeah and i'm just gonna be late for all of them i, think. I know we need to go all right thanks guys cheers good to chat cheery bye-bye for now You look like you're trying to hack into the mainframe, too. Uh, <laughs> just typing away. Yeah. Uh, my life. <laughs> pain in the oh, my life. <laughs> <laughs> Quite frankly. <laughs> it's, just, it's just racing from one thing to the next and being late for all of them. Today I'm racing That's around. literally it. I am literally I'm we'll, There's no doubt. There's no way we'll, we'll be on time for the no. thing tonight. <laughs> like, come in the back. <laughs> I've, I've got to, go to, the, I've I've got to then leave early from there to go to work to do re group and then I'm going to you to do another podcast. It's just stupid. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Come on, we Come need on. to go. Yeah, I'm going to run out of time. Like the Tom Cruise thing. <laughs> you know what I love with tennis? I love that so is the, <laughs> When the ball goes from one side to the other yeah. and you just think, well, where's it going to go next? I know there's been so many matches. Like, which match do you particularly like, Tom? Well, I just like the way yeah. the yeah. player runs from side to side and back and forth. <laughs> it's like you haven't seen any. Oh, it's just the competition. You know, yeah, the competition. ferocious <laughs> competitors. And it's just, it's great, isn't it, tennis? That's they need I, to be more like the little film podcast. That's why I stopped listening. You are yeah. quite loud. He's quite you loud. Are really Am I? Loud, yeah. yeah. I might turn you just, down. It's just the weight of my Maybe opinion. Maybe just mute it. <laughs> <laughs> when you've got powerful opinions, they just come across... It's like long silences in the pod, and then which like, no, I don't agree with, <laughs> with any of that. Even when I whisper, right, cool. I bellow. Start. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that from something? I don't know. Even That's when I, amazing. <laughs> Even when I whisper, I bellow. <laughs>